listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So here it is, January 1. Sunday is falling on New Year's Day. It's a brand new day. Nice new morning. New month, new year. And traditionally, culturally, our, you know, like our, our culture, this is the time to set new goals, to have new ambitions and to talk about those things and to set those things. How many, how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you have ever in your life have ever set a New Year's resolution and have declared a New Year's resolution? Most of us here. Okay, question. How many of you have actually accomplished a New Year's resolution? Not a good, a good number. So we've got some achievers in the room. Good job. Yeah, like, like I know statistically, it's something like 20% of all New Year's resolutions or something like that are actually seen through to the end. So give me a little feedback here. I'm, I'm gonna show you a slide in just a moment. Don't, don't show this just yet, but uh, a, a survey was taken a couple of months ago of New Year's resolutions that people were making starting this morning, starting today, of 2023. You tell me, what do you think were among the top five New Year's resolutions for 2023? Sh- shout it out. Diet, yeah, okay, that's one. Exercise, and another, yep. Save money is another, good, you're, you're nailing it. Any, any more? Here, here they travel more, that's, that was among the top 10. Here they are, here are the top five resolutions for 2023, to exercise more, to eat healthier, to lose weight, those are all kind of related in my mind. To save more money, which was not as high on the list a couple of years ago. Right, so you can kind of tell, like, this is something to do with uh, what's going on in our country right now. And then to spend more time, I like that last one, to spend more time with family and friends. Number five, if you go back, rewind the clock five years ago, the same statistics company that polled Americans five years ago said number five was to read more. So something shifted, they said, in 2020, where we said, no, we want to make family and friends more of a priority, which is kind of cool. So anyway, there, there are some resolutions that, and, and number six, just if in case you're curious, number six was to spend less time on social media. Please. Now, I know, there's, there, I know there's nothing in the Bible about New Year's resolutions. I know there's nothing necessarily unbiblical about them either, but I'll tell you what is in Scripture. There's a lot of talk, a lot of talk about goals, about, about striving to win the prize, about running in such a way as to win the race. One of the authors of Scripture that talks most about goals is the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to take you to a passage. We're going to look at a passage this morning where the Apostle Paul specifically talks about his goals and how he goes about pursuing them. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. There's nothing in in scripture quite like this explosion of spiritual longing on Paul's part here in Philippians chapter three. So so turn there with me. I want you to see this in your copy of scripture. And, and I'll tell you this, if you make these goals, these goals that are in this passage, if you make these goals your goals for this year, this is a pretty bold claim, God will 
be with you. God will be glorified by you. You will be satisfied if you make these goals your goals. And I can say that this is actually applicable from the text because in the end of this chapter, in the end of this passage, Paul actually follows this up and says, follow my example. He says, join, in verse 17, join in imitating me. So this is for you, like this is for me, this is for us to make these goals, his goals, your goals and my goals. So read with me Philippians chapter three, verses 12 to 14, just a short passage. And we're going to pull from this passage, we're gonna pull six resolutions, if you will, for this new year. Philippians chapter three, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, let those of us who are mature think this way. Join in imitating me. Right, so here we go. I'm gonna pull out six resolutions for us. I would encourage you to write these down. Number one, resolved to embrace the fact that I have not yet become who God calls me to be. Resolved to embrace the fact that I have not yet become who God calls me to be. Look at how Paul says this about himself in this passage, right? In verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And then in verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I don't consider that I have arrived. So do you hear what Paul is saying, right? Like, what is he talking about? When he's talking about obtaining, obtain what? In the paragraph just before this, he says, that I may that I may know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. And then he says, that, that I may become like him. Like, I wanna become more spiritually mature. I wanna become something more like Christ. I wanna reflect his character. I wanna reflect his glory. And, he, and, and Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I've got a lot of growing to do. I know I do. And I'm not gonna be satisfied with where I'm at right now. And what's so striking about this To us who are reading this thousands of years later, what's so striking about this is who is writing this and when he's writing this. So it's hard to imagine, if you read through scripture, it's hard to imagine any disciple of Christ who was as theologically adept and insightful and secure in his own skin and and excited about the Lord and and faithful to serve. Like it's, it's hard to imagine any disciple of Jesus who could have been more thrilled, more content with where he was at spiritually than, than Paul, right? More pleased with what he's done for Jesus, more content with what he knows about the Lord. I mean, at this point, he's writing the book of Philippians, which means that he's already in prison, which happens later on in his life, which means that he already wrote the book of Romans, and if, if I could sit down this afternoon with the knowledge that's in this brain and the insight that's in my heart and sit down, if I could sit down and write the book of Romans, 
I would be pretty happy with where I'm at, right? Like, I'd be pretty satisfied. Or then think about what, so that's what he knows. Think about what he's done. At this point, Paul has already planted dozens of churches. He's witnessed so many times for Christ, so faithfully for him. He's been persecuted for the sake of the gospel. He's in prison right now for the sake of the gospel. I mean, think about a, think about a man. You can't, I can't think of anybody else who, who you would think could be more content with where he was at spiritually. And yet, Paul says, no way. I'm not. I'm not going to give in to that, like that, that unholy contentment and be satisfied with where I'm at. I've still got breath in my lungs. I know I've got room to grow. I'm gonna get after it. So he left, I mean, Paul left a lucrative career, committed his mind and his life to to learning. And yet still, after all of that, he feels passionately that he has not yet become the person that he longs to be, that he knows he's called to be. Church family, listen. These words of Paul, they force us to face this reality in our own lives. Right, and, and, to, and to say, man, like I, if he can say he's not there yet, I know I am not there yet. You should take some time this morning, right now, to consider this reality that you have not yet arrived. You have not yet become all that God has designed and intended and called you to become. And I would even say, that's, that's okay. Right? It takes a certain amount of humility, a certain amount of self-awareness to recognize that truth. If you feel that this morning, if you know, yeah, like I've got room to grow and I want to get after it. Like if you feel that kind of holy discontentment that you have not arrived, that you, that you want not to be that, this same person this time next year, that you want to grow in Christ, becoming like him, if you feel that kind of discontentment, I mean, first, you're in good company, right? And I would say it's a mark of spiritual health. It's only the shallowest of Christians who are, who are content, who are satisfied, who are not striving. Anyone who has any bit of this attitude of Paul will feel this discontentment, that you want more for life, that you want more of Christ and you want to become all God who, is, who God has called you to be. So, number one, resolved to embrace the fact that I have not yet become who God calls me to be. Number two, to not give in to passivity in my becoming like Christ. To not give in to passivity in my becoming like Christ. Look how he says this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. The language that Paul is using here, scholars say that this word actually comes from the world of warcraft, hunting, and athletics, where he's saying, it, basically he's saying to make it my own, to, to seize it. It's the language of capturing an object or capturing a, a prey, capturing a goal. I press on to, to seize it. I press on to make this thing my own, to make this spiritual goal mine once and for all, right? It's like a greyhound straining in a dog race to reach that rabbit. I, a couple of years ago, I had a chance to be to, to, to run in a race called a Tough Mudder. Have you ever heard of a Tough Mudder? It's this 13-mile race, 26 obstacles, 
tons of mud. You know, I've, I've, I've got a picture in my mind of the group of our, us guys that were doing it um, at the beginning and at the end of the, the, the before and the after. Before, we're all naive and smiling and dry and, and at the end, just cloaked in, in mud, clothed in mud and pain and misery. And, uh, and, and the very last, I don't remember the name of the obstacle. All the obstacles had clever names, but at the very last obstacle, you had to climb, you had to ascend this 40-foot platform that reached out over some 20, 30-foot deep pool of muddy water, freezing cold, muddy water. And in order to complete the obstacle, you had to run off of this platform and grab a hold of a trapeze that was connected to a zip line about 10 feet from the edge of the platform. And if you didn't, you would plummet into this pool. And so I remember, you know, so, so here I was. I, 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 could, I, could, I was visualizing how this was gonna happen. I was, I was all ready for it. I'm drenched, I'm muddy, and my hands were slippery and covered in mud, but it didn't matter. Like, guys, I saw other guys doing it, other women doing it. I'm like, I can do this. I could, I could picture it in my mind. It looked glorious in my mind. And so, I, and so I did it. I took off one step after another and I made it to the edge of the platform and I launched myself into the air. And I got all the way out to the trapeze. I got my hand on the trapeze, but only a couple of fingers. Knocked that thing for a loop and I plummeted and belly flopped right into the water. Ended up with a big red mark all down my neck and my, my face. And here they take thousands and thousands of photos of this event because they're trying to sell these photos after it's all over. So I went back on the website a couple of days later to see like, what was that like? I can't wait to see this epic moment. And one of my friends, one of my buddies, Kevin, who actually made the jump and made the trapeze, I saw him first and he was stretched out, veins popping, right? Water like spraying from his form, totally horizontal and grabbing hold of that trapeze. And then I scrolled a couple of more and I found myself. And it, it looked like I was doing this, like, I, I mean, in my mind, I really thought I was, I was straight, I was going for it. And no, it was compared to Kevin, who was all out. It was, it was, it was pitiful. Paul, Paul, when he's talking about this kind of, I, I press on to make this my own. This is the kind of language that he's using. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give everything to make this, to seize this, and to make this my own. He is fighting every ounce of passivity. And you got, I gotta say, if there is any, I think, any corporate sin that the American church is guilty of in, in, in our world today, it is passivity. We are so prone to just, to feel like, okay, if I just, if I just show up at this thing, they will help me grow spiritually, if I, if, I just, if I just plop my seat in this auditorium at this point, at this time, every day or every morning, every week, then, and if, and if they're not helping me grow spiritually, it's their, they must not be a good teacher. They must not be a good preacher. They must, this must not be the right church because I'm not getting a lot out of it, right? They, like, this is the, Amer- the American, I think, the American curse of our day is passivity, where we have a bunch, of, a bunch of us just, we tend to rely on other people for our spiritual growth and vitality. And Paul says, no way, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to have it. It is so 
easy to get lulled into passivity. It's even, it's even easy, take a different angle at it, it's even easy to get discouraged and to think, man, I've been, like, I've been a Christian for years. I, Tim Buchek, I came to Christ when I was about 13. Now I'm 43 now. For 30 years, I've been a Christian. And I'm not who I wish I was as a 30-year-old Christian. It, it would be easy to get discouraged and think, well, if, I'm haven't, if I haven't gotten that far by now, then what's the point? I'll just, I'll just cruise from here out. Right? It, it would be easy to give in to discouragement and passivity. But that is exactly what the Apostle Paul does not do. He says, I know I haven't arrived. I'm not dead yet to live as Christ. I press on to make it my own. So, number three, resolved to fight passivity. Number, I'm sorry, number two. Number three is this. Number three, resolved to fuel the engine of my growth with the gospel. And, and, and here's why this is so beautiful and important because at this point, as we're reading through a passage like this, we're like, man, I'm miserable. And I can feel so guilty. I feel like shame, right? And guilt, like that, I'm, that I don't have the same kind of drive that the Apostle Paul does. But so there's this discontentment, there's this determination. But, but like, where do you get the energy that Paul has, right? Where do you get the drive to keep that up? What does Paul say? Verse 12, look at it. He says, I press on to make it my own. Why? How? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right? And again, this is aggressive language, right? He's saying, I've been seized by Jesus Christ. And you can't help but think back to Paul's testimony. When you hear language like this from a man like this, you, you, I think of Paul's conversion. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He had a warrant to go and to imprison people who claim the name of Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah, and, and our risen Lord suddenly and blindingly appeared before Paul in glory and confronted him. And it's as if God like, reached into the life of Paul, into the heart of Paul, and grabbed him by his self-righteous scruff and saved him from destroying himself and others. And in that moment, right? And that, that moment, Paul's like, he, Paul, Paul looks back on that and he says, that, that is what, that's what motivates me. That's what drives me. When I think back on what God has done for me, what he saved me from, the, the undeserved mercy that I've experienced at the, at the good hand of our gracious God, that fuels me, that pours fuel into the engine of my growth and obedience. Because now, when I consider that, and when you, when you think of it, those of you who are Christ followers, those of you who have given your life to the Lord, who have come to the end of yourself and have come to that point where you realize, I don't deserve this. He is so good. I don't deserve this. When you dwell on that fact, when that, when you, when that goes down to your core, it springs up in you this heart of gratitude. And your obedience then becomes this overflow of gratitude and joy. And so instead of, because the, the, the temptation would be to say like, okay, it's 2023, 
I've got I've to do this. I've got to get more spiritually mature. I've got to get in my Bible every day. I've got to do a Bible reading plan, like Pastor Bill said. I've got to get to the Sunday school classes. I've got to do this. I've got to muscle my, I've got to white knuckle my way through. I, I can do it. I can do it. The gospel would say, well, no, you, you can't necessarily. And you're going, to, you're going to falter and fumble and fail. But there's grace. And that grace gives you the joy to get back up. Gives you the, the joy to, to be obedient in the first place. Gives you the, the fuel to set your rights, to set your sights on the right goals. You have to be fueled by that grace to fuel the engine of my growth with the gospel. Resolution number three. Number four, to never let my past hinder my pursuit of Christ-likeness. To never... Let me just read Paul's words. Says He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. What is, what is Paul forgetting? He obviously isn't forgetting all that he's learned about God, right? This isn't some like weird amnesia moment that he's got. He doesn't even forget all of the bad things that he's done. If you consider another passage in scripture, at one point, Paul goes on trial before a king, before King Agrippa, and starts sharing his testimony. And part of his testimony is this. In Acts chapter 26, he says, King, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I sentenced innocent people to death for loving Jesus. That's who I am. That's what I've done, right? And then he says, and I I went on to synagogues. I punished them. I tried to make them blaspheme. Like Paul tried to force people to reject their Lord, to reject Jesus. What an awful man he was, right? And he didn't forget this. He didn't forget it. He knew it. He was very aware of his past. So, so what kind of forgetting is Paul talking about when he says, forgetting what lies behind? What kind of forgetting is this? It's this. It's the kind of forgetting that occurs when we stop Letting the past overshadow what God is doing in your present and wants to do in your future. It's the kind of forgetting that sheds, that, that looks at your past in light of God's grace and is able to even grab a hold of that, take that fully in arm and say, you're coming with me and we're gonna redeem this thing I'm gonna let my great God use my sordid past for his good and others' good. So this isn't, like I said, this isn't some kind of spiritual 
amnesia. I think, again, think of Paul. Paul, when he was writing to one of his mentor, mentorees or mentees, um, his, one of his disciples, Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter one, Paul's writing to him and he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of the gospel. And then he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And he meant that. He, this was not just a hyperbole. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal, eternal life. So even my, Paul is saying, even my past can be redeemed for God's glory. So can yours. The easiest way for you to waste your life is to get hung up on stuff that happened in your past. Some of us have a past that continuously haunts us. Some of us have at least things that, that frustrate us or, or baffle us. We keep replaying them in our head and we think like, if, if, like those if only kind of conversations. If only I had done, if only I had spent more time with my child when he was this age or if only I had confronted that person. If only I had stood up. If only I had said no. Right? Maybe it's the things that, maybe it's things that we did Right? Ways that we hurt other people, decisions that we made. Maybe it's things that we didn't do. Time that we wasted. Opportunities that we missed. Or maybe it's things that were done to us, people that hurt us. Or an accident that derailed us. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you this morning, do you, is there something in your past that you feel has put you into some spiritual category, like a shelf, a bench on God's team, saying, I guess I'm just gonna be benched for the rest of my life. I'll never be able to do blank. I'll never be able to serve in this way. I'll never be able to, this happened, therefore, I'm out. If, if Paul could look at his past, anybody here murder somebody for being a Christian? No, no. If Paul could look at his past and say this is redeemable, then you can too. So, resolved not to let my past hinder my pursuit of Christ likeness. Number five, resolved to make every effort to do my part to grow spiritually, to, to extend maximum effort, to spend myself as much as I can to grow spiritually. Look at how he says this in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Then he says, straining forward to what lies ahead. This is very similar language to what he was talking about earlier. The language Paul is using here is the language of running a race, right? Running and running, not, not any race, running a sprint, not a marathon. In a marathon, I know we've got some marathoners in the room. In a marathon, you know you can kind of ease off at certain points. And in fact, you, you need to conserve energy in a marathon in order to make, you know, to kind of make, make it in the long run. That's not the language that Paul's using here. Paul says, no, when it comes to my growth in Christ, I'm in a race and it's not a long race. I can see the tape and I'm not letting up. I, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead like a runner with their chest out, veins swelling, hair in the wind, 
This, this was consistent in all of what Paul wrote, right? When he even the, think about his language of working out your faith with fear and trembling, you get after it, you do what you can to grow spiritually. You have opportunities this year to make real goals, to set real goals, to change the way you live. And, and, let, and let me just remind you, life consists in the things you do daily. Life consists most in the things you do daily. So, so how you start your day, how you end your day, the few things that you, the few important immovable objects in your day that you make a part of your daily routine will shape you indelibly. So think carefully about how you craft your time, how you spend your time. And spend it in such a way as to strain for what's ahead. Number six, resolved to fully expect great things ahead. Resolved to fully expect great things ahead. Look at verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's this unquenchable hope in Paul's voice, right? His laser focus results in hope. And there, because he knows there are great things ahead. One of my favorite movies when I was a kid was a, was a, it was a, it was a sports movie called Chariots of Fire. It was a, based off of a true story of a man na- named Eric Little, a Scottish runner. And one of my favorite scenes was when Scotland and France were going toe to toe. They were competing in this track tournament and they were, they were neck and neck. They were tied so far in this meet. And there was one event left. The shot was fired. The runners were off. And as they came to a turn, they were bunched together, shoulder to shoulder. And Eric, our hero, was knocked. He was tripped and knocked over and knocked off the track. And this actually happened in real life. And the film slows down. And the, the music swells. Right? And in that moment, he bounces off the turf, rolls over, springs back to his feet, and gets back on the track. And if you know anything about running, you know these, these kinds of runs, these kinds of sprints, I think it was the 400 that he was running in that event, they come down to the, to the very wire. The best runners are like neck and neck at the line, right? So at this point, he might have a chance of, of nobly coming in last. But that's not what happens. And then and in the, over the course of the remaining laps, knees kicked high, head tilted back. Eric Little sprints, overtakes the front runner and wins that race. And of course, your emotions are going high. But the point is, in that moment, as he was running that race, in that moment, when he gets knocked down, he doesn't give up hope. He still had hope. And he strove for what was ahead. That hope got him off the ground. That hope got him back on the track. That hope kept him going step after step toward that finish line. He didn't give up hope. Friends, I can confidently say that there are great things ahead for you if you don't give up hope. So let me review. These are six resolutions from Paul's hand to your heart and mine. Resolved, 
Number one, to embrace the fact that I have not become who God calls me to be. Number two, resolved to not give in to passivity in my becoming like Christ. Number three, resolved to fuel the engine of my growth with the gospel. Number four, resolved to never let my past hinder my pursuit of Christ-likeness. Number five, resolved to make every effort to do my part to grow spiritually. Number six, resolved to fully expect great things ahead. Will you make these resolutions yours? These are, these are biblical resolutions. Will you join Paul in imitating him? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this. Thank you for this challenge. Thank you for the energy that, that, and the passion with which Paul wrote, the passion with which he lived, the way he captured these thoughts so well for us. And I pray, would we, here at the, at the turn of this bright new year, would we be about good and godly things, resolved to live our lives in such a way to spend our hours in such a way as to, to enjoy you and to give you glory, to obey you fully, depending not on our own energy and effort, but on the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. I ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.